Thank you for tuning in to The First Time I Heard. I'm your host, Toya Haynes. My special guest today is author Craig Seymour. You may have seen some of his writings in Vibe and Entertainment Weekly. He is the author of Luther, The Life and Longings of Luther Vandross. And if you haven't guessed already, we are talking about the first time we heard Luther Vandross. time I heard Luther Vandross I was six years old and we were on a family trip to Baltimore Maryland visiting some family friends and I remember we were about to go to the shore and I remember like this was yesterday coming down the steps and hearing this voice which was a voice like I had never heard before singing in a way that I had never heard before the way Luther Vandross sang never too much to this day I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you back then what cadence was or vocal control or breath control or anything like that was. I just knew that this was different. And I, to me, it was as different as the day I heard hip hop. It was that different. And I just loved it. I just fell in love with his voice. It wasn't until way later in life did I realize or did I find out that I had already heard his voice with behind David Bowie and Chic? But when I heard Never Too Much, when he stepped out on his own and it wasn't change and it wasn't Chic, it was him. It wasn't commercials. I knew it. That was my favorite singer. And that is my earliest memory of hearing Luther Vandross. Absolutely the first time. about Luther's music that I love so much is that it opened me up to everything that I love about music from lyrics and emotion and honesty and um, transparency in, in music to the bass instrument becoming my favorite instrument because of how Marcus Miller just brought it to the forefront in a way that to me piano was always like the best lead instrument up until I heard Marcus Miller and he darn near made it sound like another vocalist playing on the record with Luther. He was that amazing. And to this day, he's my favorite bass player. Um, my love, my love and, and borderline obsession with background vocals absolutely have to do with Kevin Owens and Ava Cherry and Lisa Fisher and the work that Sissy Houston did on, on Luther's records, unmatched to this day. Um, my love for strings, my love for, gosh, and of course, you know, Luther's delivery and his phrasing in each song, he just embodies everything that I love most about really good music. And that's why to this day, he's, he's my favorite singer of all time. I am so excited and I feel like I'm going to say this but like before every episode but this one is extra special because we are talking about my favorite 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 singer of all time Luther Vandross and I have someone very special on the line Craig Seymour who is the author of Luther the li the life and longings of Luther Vandross Craig how are you I'm doing very well how are you man I'm doing so good I'm doing so good I am so excited to talk to you. And first of all, before I even get into it, I know I emailed you this, but I really wanted to say this on my podcast. I want to thank you so much for approaching um, the book that you did in such a beautiful, detailed, thoughtful way. 
Thank you. That is so nice. I I really love that. Like it wasn't the way you the way that you talked about Luther Vandross and you gave us information on him was definitely from a perspective of someone that cares was a fan and cares about the the history and um, you just connected so many dots but it was in such a very thoughtful way and I really like that about the book so I just want to publicly just say thank you so much as a huge fan um, I have it on audible I have it on my Kindle my Kindle has so many <laughs> notes on it it's ridiculous because uh, <laughs> I had so many aha moments um, listening to it so I just wanted to just start off and just say thank you for that thank you I mean you know just as a black person and just knowing how our history can be so misrepresented, mm. I mean, it was just so important to me to be able to write about somebody that was not that, you know, big of a figure within the mainstream, you right. know, but to write right. about Luther, who means so much to us as black people, and then to write about him in a way that really gave the context about why he's so important to yes, black life and what yeah. part of black musical culture he comes from and that his whole artistry was paying respect to a certain tradition of mm-hmm. black performance. And just to make sure that all of that was represented, that was really, really um, important to me. So it makes me feel really good when people see that because I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I love that you said you talk a lot about context and that is a big part of the book to me because there were certain parts I remember seeing like you were talking about the the 60s and like the political movements and what was going on in her time and I was like wow this is really detailed for a book about <laughs> about Luther Vandross but then when I saw it as a whole I went oh my gosh this really influences influenced him in such a way that it's like it helped me to see Luther Vandross um, his artistry in a different way. Meaning, when you were talking about the political climate during certain times, Luther's music was never political, mm-hmm. but it was still it it still helped to understand how he was influenced and what was going on in his life during that time. And that's why I really did appreciate the historical aspect of that. Well, thank you. I mean, I just think it's very important, especially with sort of when you're writing about celebrities, is that it's very easy to just get caught up in the stardom and everything like mm-hmm. that. But people don't exist in vacuums. You know, people exist watching the evening news. You know, people exist knowing what is going on around them. Right. So the choice of whether or not to go with the tide or to go against the tide mm-hmm. is sort of an artistic choice. Yes. And so to me, Luther, it just it's just so telling to me of Luther that, like, literally there were like black students on the campus where he was going to school, like protesting and doing all sorts of stuff and everything. And he's in his room listening to Rita Franklin. Right. <laughs> but that's just who he is, you know? Right. And like, exactly. I also, during one of his first big interviews for never too much, you know, he had his brand new Mercedes and he's driving the report around town. Mm-hmm. And he says something like, why is there trash everywhere? Why is the stuff so dirty? Well, it turns out there had been a trash, um, there had been a strike of the sanitation workers mm-hmm. for like weeks upon weeks upon weeks that had been all in the headlines and everything. But again, Luther is so focused on what he's doing, he didn't even know about this right. huge sanitation strike. And so just certain things like that, I think, are very revealing of his character. Yes. But then, you have, you, but then later, you know, you have issues where, for example, when in Arizona they decided not to recognize um, Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday mm-hmm. as, a national, as a holiday, he decided not to perform there. Right. So, you know, you do also get an awakening of political consciousness mm-hmm. along the way. So right. For sure. Well, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone at the top of the show. 
do you remember the first time you heard Luther Vandross? And, you know, I was trying to think because I knew you were going to ask um, <laughs> since this whole theme. But <laughs> that's the whole point, right? But, like, I cannot remember exactly the moment because I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm 50, I'm about to be 51. So mm-hmm. I really grew up right in the era of Luther. So I'm sure I heard Luther. Um, before I knew who he was because he was on so many commercials. Right. And like back in the day, if you listen to black radio, you know, or even if you were flipping to a black magazine or something like that, you paid attention to those ads that were specifically black because they were still so few. Mm-hmm. So you paid attention to the AT&T commercial that had a little something, something to it. You know, so I'm right. sure I heard him just in that. And then I know like in... um 79, like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite records was Sister Sledge's um, He's the Greatest Dancer. Like, I was just obsessed with that record. And Luther is so loud on the background (laughs) of that record. Like, when I brought that up to him and I interviewed him once, he was like, yeah, I kept saying, now, like, you're Kathy. You know? (laughs) So I know that was a really... um, I know I was hearing him in that, and that was probably one of the reasons why I loved that record so much, even though I didn't know it. But then I know the first time that I was just aware of him and when he just, his vocals just became everything was definitely with um, Change Glow of Love. Basically, kind of searching because black radio kind of played both right at the same time. I don't even know. They were, you know, so it was kind of like that was a moment of like, oh my gosh, who is this person? He sounds different from every anybody I've ever heard before right. in my life. And um, so, yeah, it was definitely with um, the Change Project and with the glow. Of, I would say the glow of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and that was about that was like 1980, so I was probably yeah. like around 11, 12 around mm-hmm. then. Yeah. I'm really interested to find out, you know, you're, you're a writer, you've been a pop critic, you've written for numerous publications, and this was your first book. Why did you choose this to be your first book? Well, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I, I owe my career to hip-hop, mm-hmm. okay? So that's why I always give it up to hip-hop all day, every day, because I came of age um, as a writer at a time in the 90s when hip-hop was becoming, and hip-hop, you know, and the cross-sectional RB was becoming such a big part of um, pop culture. Mm-hmm. But at newspapers all across the country, they still had these white rock critics that didn't know anything about the scene. So they were very much looking for writers who could write about it. So that's how I really got into the door, okay. um, writing about hip-hop and R&B and everything like that. Now, when it came time for, I had always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to write a book. And I had um, done a big interview with Luther in Jamaica for Vibe yes. in, I believe that was in 2001. Mm-hmm. So it was really just a matter. I was working with an agent. I was kind of brainstorming things, and this was around the time that Luther had a stroke. He before he passed, but he had had the stroke, and nobody really knew what was going on or anything like that. Right. And so my agent knew that I had written about Luther and I loved Luther, and she was trying to see if anybody is interested in Luther Andrews' book, like kind of just like throwing it out there. Um, 
And, you know, I was like, cool, you know, I'd love to write about Luther and everything. And then sure enough, um, Harper Collins picked up on it. And, uh, you know, within a week out of book deal and, you know, probably less than a year later, the book was out. So it was one of those type of situations where it really um, fell into my lap and in a way where I think, you know, there's sort of more of a divine order and that it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a small window. Like, if you would have read some of the rejection letters for the book, it was crazy. It was like people were writing back because the publishing industry, let's face it, is mostly white. Okay, right. so people wrote my agent back letters like, I don't even know who this man is. Why are you sending me this? No. <laughs> <laughs> and people were writing back like, I barely knew who this man was. And based upon this proposal on his life, I think he's more of a pathetic figure than a heroic figure, so I don't see why we would want to do a book about it. People were wild. It was stuff like like that, so it was just, and I do feel that the way the publishing industry is and the way that I've um, tried to do things in the future, it is very hard to sell a book on a black music artist, because they just don't, that's not the language they speak. They don't understand the importance of these figures, so it took like a tragic thing, Luther's stroke, I think really for me to have that one little window in order to be able to, exactly. So it's, 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 um, you know, kind of a tragic situation, but it ended up giving me this opportunity, I think, to tell his life in a way that I think still resonates now. And I hope that people, now that he's no longer with us, but people can still, as they discover the music, they can then, learn about his story, which I do think is very profound and is one of those, I do feel like it's a heroic story of this, um, you know, little black boy that had this dream of being a superstar and against all odds, you know, against so many obstacles, so many people telling him no, the weight thing, everything like that, Mm -hmm. he ended up becoming a superstar. And to me, that, like his songs, I think that's so amazing, you know? Yeah, he could have been a, you know, 20 feet from stardom story, which is not a terrible story. You know, yeah. it's not a terrible story, but that no. wasn't what he wanted and or really what he wanted. He would have settled for it maybe had it not been for Roberta Flack, um, who said that she exactly kindly fired for him. It for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, he didn't really settle for it for a while. And let's face it, that 20 feet from stardom, that's a cute check. You oh, it's a cute Oh, if I could be a background singer. I have so many friends that are background singers that travel. And I'm like, man, if I could carry a note in a bucket, y'all would not stand me. Because they get to do so much. So that is a cute show. Yeah, and, and then if you put that times, so, you know, he was big in the jinkle world, which mm-hmm. not everybody could get it. But he was really... Never Too Much was not about him getting his first money. That was about him getting his first mainstream acceptance in terms of his name. And he was cashing checks for a long time before that and could have easily been comfortable. But instead, you know, he people don't realize that even though Never Too Much was on a major label, he sold that to the record company as is. Yeah. He funded all of that on his own mm-hmm. and then was like, here, y'all yeah, want it or what? Because he was you know, sitting on that money from jingles and from backup gigs with Bed Midler exactly. and David Bowie. And so he was able to go ahead and fund that himself. Exactly. Because nobody wanted to sign so everybody wanted to sign him, but nobody wanted him to write his own material. Mm-hmm. And he, and he refused to take a deal. Yeah. Nope. He was not having it. So in you already being a fan of Luther Vandross before you even wrote the book, what was your, what is your favorite album? Is it still the same or what's your favorite album? Luther Vandross album. 
the one that I'm most attached to was the first one that I bought with my own money. Yeah. Like my mama bought Never Too Much and she mm-hmm. bought um Oh my gosh, I've just blanked on the second album. Um Forever for Always oh, for Love. Forever for Always for Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bought Busybody first day. It came, okay. you know, I was like, that was my album. <laughs> and be, and it was just such a cool record because oh, at the time I was also kind of into a lot of like British New Wave and like synth pop and yes. Human League and Thompson Twins and things like that. Oh. And like Busybody had like incredible synthesizers just all throughout it. It sure so did. It kind of bridged. Yeah, so it really bridged these two different worlds, these two different musical worlds oh, that I love. Cause you got a busy body Giving up your love to just anybody just the background singers, just people like I would end up loving. Sissy Houston is like so loud on I Want to Hear Love, and I'm a Houston fan. You know, so just weird things like that, yeah. and busybody concept, and the sneaking yes. around, and the narrative of that. And it, I was just so into it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, of course that has Superstar on it, and that was just such an epic. Yeah. For something like I had never heard anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Questlove, I forget, I was talking about albums I like, and then Questlove mentioned that Make Me a Believer was oh, one of his God. songwriting yeah. goal songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just think there's so much to add the album, but there's just something about, like, that that was the first Luther album that I bought with my own good money, you know, whether or not I scrounged the money from between the couch, you know, getting some little coins in, you know, and, and so I was just was so attached to that record. Yeah, I did read something Questlove said on Twitter. I think he said, like, um, Make Me a Believer is the best something five minutes, 30-something seconds of Luther Vandross's career. Which, yeah. Which I... I will not disagree. <laughs> I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. But it's such an amazing song. I always thought it was a beautiful song it, and just very unique. It is. And it's, there's so much space in that record. That's what's so beautiful yes. about it. You know, there's so much just, just he cre- it's, a, it's an atmospheric song. You know, he creates a whole sort of feeling and a vibe in that record that is he really, does. really beautiful. That's a great way to put it. To me, it's like his... Um, I don't want to put him against, not against, but comparing to Michael Jackson. But to me, it's it's very much like a human nature. You know what I mean? How the yeah, human exactly. nature is exactly. very much like. My favorite record, my favorite Luther Vandross album, collectively from beginning to end, is Forever for Always for Love. Beginning to end. And you are not alone in that assessment. <laughs> That's a lot of people. I'm just going around and just, um, you know, a lot of people think that. Yeah, that's my favorite record from top to bottom. And in your book, you said that Nelson George totally, like, can that record like he said in comparison to the first album he said that that luther was creatively stagnant or something like that and i remember when i read that i was thinking any other critique i ever read from nelson george is going to get the hardest side eye because i don't understand (laughs) how you can say that a record that has forever for always for love promise me sweetest love (laughs) on it like (laughs) 
is a is a creatively another, stagnant record. record. And I think we can't even say Forever for Always for Love now, at least for me, without thinking of Layla Hathaway, too, which yeah. I think her cover is such a um, tribute. I think about Nelson George. I'm not sure exactly what Nelson would say about it today. You know, today, I know as a critic yeah. myself, I have changed things. But one thing I do know about Nelson is that at the time, you know, he was very much a reporter slash critic. Mm -hmm. So he really knew all that was going on behind the scenes and that Luther was producing all these different projects and that he was doing all of this kind of stuff. So to me, that might have influenced his interpretation of the record because he probably knew and was in the loop and people were saying, oh, you know, he had to do this right quick Mm because they needed it out and he's been busy touring and working with Aretha and doing all this kind of stuff. So to me, all that stuff could have been in the back of his mind maybe. But then when he listened to it, he was kind of like, oh, this is pretty much the same as um, the first album. But Mm -hmm. I think what we see on when we look at Luther's whole career is like, Everything is just kind of a variation on the theme. Yes. But that variation is everything. Yeah. It's like the songs, yes, they are very similar, but the subtle difference between one and the other is where his greatness lies and is where his artistry lies. And I think that probably, maybe, that might be more difficult to have seen in the moment than it Mm -hmm. is to see when you just kind of look back on it all. Right. That's a good point. And also, it just may not have met with... In, combina- in combining with what he already knew um, about the record, like you said, it also may not have met his ex- the expectations that he had for a second record. So I yeah. can see why he would think that. And maybe, you know, he would think differently now and looking over the span of, of Luther's career. So I get that. But the other thing I think is important to remember about that, too, is I mean, people talked a lot of mess about Luther. So mm-hmm. let's just like within the industry, it was not he was not the people's champ in the industry, okay, because of just the coming from disco and just the, all this stuff and being a background singer, right. and he had he had had the group Luther before, and that failed after two albums. Yeah. You know, see, he had had a lot of failures, so I just think the general atmosphere was not really, like, go Luther. I think, so there's that part about it, too. But then there's also another thing that's important to realize about Nelson George, especially at the time, and this was, um, I'm not sure if his book The Death of Rhythm and Blues was out or not, or if he was just working on it, Mm -hmm. but he also saw the 80s as being a time when sort of the more soulful aspects of R&B, you know, the kind of gospel Aretha Franklin type stuff to sort of really... um, those people that were really rooted in the church, the Sam Cooks and all that kind of stuff. Right. He saw those soulful edges being edged out as we kind of moved into the assimilationist 80s. Right. You know, so he kind of, I think, was also seeing Luther within that trajectory. Mm-hmm. I don't, of course, we know now that that's not all there is to Luther, but I think that, that he was seeing it as, oh, it's another moved out singer and not somebody who is from the church or doing things within the soul tradition. Right, right. And that actually, I love that you said that because that brings me to my next point as far as, you know, like I said, he's my favorite singer and he is the only singer that I can think of from that era that did not come from the church. Um, You know, Marvin Gaye, Mm -hmm. Kay LaBelle, of course, Aretha, Dion, like so many other singers sang in church and he's the only singer that I can think of that didn't. And it makes me... Wonder because he he's very much from the school of Dion and and Patty and if that's why his he he approached 
vocals in the way that he did. There's just a certain type of emotion and tenderness that he he gave to each song in the way that he sang. Mm-hmm. Um, that was unique. And I when I realized that he didn't, I heard on Oprah that he did not grow up in church. I was like, maybe that's part of the difference is that he kind of came up from a different school than a lot of the other singers did. What do you think about that? Yeah, I do. The only other person I would add to that is Shaka Khan actually didn't grow up in the church either, okay. which people are always surprised. Well, she grew up Catholic. So okay. She always joked she grew up singing like Ave Maria. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those are like really two, um, they're two anomalies. I think the thing about Luther is, well, I think there's, there are a, lot, a couple of things with that. One, just growing up as a part of black culture, even mm-hmm. if you're not a part of the church, right. you kind of grow up church, you know, knowing certain church things and being yes. influenced a little bit. And of course, his mother was very active in the church, so I don't think it would be safe to say that he was completely... I just think I, there's a certain point that that's just kind of a part of... that. Um, so many church traditions are just so many... such a part of so many black traditions in general that right. you kind of just get that. But I think you're completely right that Luther was getting the church influence secondhand in a way he was studying the singers who were influenced by the church. So right. that's how I think you get, it's kind of once removed, and I think that's how you get the, um, Luther, I think, approaches things, if you think about something different than a lot of people that grew up in the church, I don't think, Luther approaches his lyrics very, from a kind of introspective level, yeah. you know, and a kind of, um, where he's really thinking through the lyric and really kind of almost telling the emotion as a story as opposed to just giving you the emotion right there in the note. Yeah, that's you know the what I mean? perfect like, way to put it. He never forced emotion on us. You know what I mean? He never forced emotion yeah. on us. He never forced us. He was never taking the song home. You know, like he was never doing that. He just really let the lyric and, and his emotions through those lyrics, just do what they did. So yeah, I totally understand exactly, that. exactly. You know, and so I think that that's what made him different from all of the other um, male vocalists that had become before him. Yeah. And the other thing that distinguished him from all, every male vocalist that came before him is that I think he was the only one that was not influenced by any other male vocalist. <laughs> he, <laughs> he really wasn't. Like he enjoyed the Temptations. Yeah. But he was singing in the tradition of the Dion's and yeah, the and yeah. everything like that. He wasn't singing in the tradition of the male singer. So that, I think, distinguishes, makes him such a singular talent as well. Yes, it so did. He was never trying to be a Marvin Gaye. He was never trying to be Teddy Pendergrass. You know, even he enjoyed Sam Cooke, but he wasn't trying to be Sam Cooke. Um, so he was very singular in that aspect. I want to talk about, as we all know, when Luther Vandross covered a song, it was his. Period. That was yes. that was it. You you forgot it was anybody else's um, <laughs> when he did it, except for when he did the songs album, which sounded like covers. But I don't really talk about that. Record. Which is just I one of I, I love. I I don't like this. I saw that, but I just think that if you were ever to have an example of how record companies get things wrong, Ooh, I yes. think the songs album is the perfect example because it's like hey, Luther's known for covers, so we're trying to break him pop. So let's make him do an album of covers, but not do them in the way that he's ever done a cover he's before. Ever done. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? It was so traditional and so, like, it, 
Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't talk about never that. Done. The whole point was that he restructured the song and completely turned the song inside out and made it something new. And then you get the songs album that all is really it's Luther karaoke. It is Luther. <laughs> it is Luther karaoke. <laughs> Oh, gosh, it is. Oh, it's so sad. Like, I can't even knowing what I know and reading what you said about how it even came about. Um, even listening to Always and Forever, I'm just like, are you for real? Is this how we got Always and Forever from Luther? Like, it makes me think of if he would have, quote, unquote, Lutherized it, you know, <laughs> maybe yeah. early on. What What is the Always and Forever that we would have gotten? if he was able to grab a hold of it like he did um, Creepin', you know, or just yes. other songs that he took, like what what would have been the Luther version of Always Forever that we would have gotten? And yeah, instead we got Luther Carey. Or any singing. number of the songs. And just like the whole idea that we were supposed to buy him and Mariah Carey singing Endless Love as a duet, like it was just absurd. <laughs> but, the, um, I mean, come on. But yeah. The only thing I can listen to on that album sometimes is I actually kind of like his version of Reflections. Okay. I like the vocal on that. Okay. But that's about it. That's, but I'm not trying to say that to mm-hmm. say the album. No, I think the album is totally, if it just disappeared from his entire, you know how stuff disappears on streaming sites sometimes? Right, right. Like if you were to do a lot on the Luther. Oh, yeah. I'm not, not going to miss it. I'm not I would miss never it. notice. I yeah. would never notice. I do like going in circles. Okay. I do. I can take going in circles. I appreciated hearing Evergreen. I appreciated it. But I'm good. I'm good with that. It wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't what anybody wanted. It wasn't what Luther wanted. Luther didn't even want it. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And he was mad, you know, and he just, imagine the anger that you would feel if you've had, like, all these platinum albums and you never have a pop hit, and people keep telling you, well, you're not going to have a pop hit because you keep making these R&B records, because you keep mm-hmm. making records like this. If you just listen to what we say, then you're going to get the pop hit. So he finally gets to a point and says, okay, I'm going to listen. What do you want me to do and to get me the pop hit? And then you don't get the pop hit, and it doesn't even sell as much as your previous record. I mean. Like, you know, <laughs> that, and people wonder why he had mood swings and weight fluctuations <laughs> and stuff. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. You it's know, that's a lot. A lot, a lot. It's a lot. And I'm sure he was like, y'all, what do I have to do? I love that you bring that up, too, because it makes me think about um, the interview that you did. And you included it in the book, but I did listen to the interview that you did on your podcast that you have, that you, also, that you shared with us, which I was so grateful for. And you were talking... You were talking to him, and he was talking about how he wanted a career similar like, to what Lionel Richie was doing. You know, how he was uh-huh. able to, to hit the pop world and everything. And I, like, I look back on his, success, on his success, and I think he sold out Wembley so many times. You know, he did all these amazing uh, yeah. things, but he was chasing that number one pop hit yes. so it's much. An exa- I, and I hope this comes through in the book. It is an example of... Sometimes you just need to be grateful for what you got <laughs> and not chase that thing. Because that chasing that thing will make you miserable. Miserable. And will not allow you to see the blessings that you have. Because it's, cause what I, I think I even said this in an interview. I was like, well, Luther, Lionel Richie doesn't get played on black radio anymore. Like, Lionel Richie went pop, and he got that big success in the 80s, but he basically sacrificed his entire black audience because of that. So it's like, and I'm like, you get played 
people play your new stuff and your old stuff on black radio. Like, that is so important. A lot of these people that you're chasing yeah. don't have what you have and wish they had what you had. But he just couldn't see it. He just saw it. It's like, mm. well, I'm friends with Dion. Dion has a number one. Why don't I have a number one? Yeah. I'm friends with Aretha. Aretha has a, I'm, Whitney comes over the house. We play cards. Whitney has a number one. <laughs> <laughs> he was just really thought, <laughs> just in terms of like, and I mean, I admit, like, I, like yeah. yes, I could understand if he would think to himself kind of like, wow, this is really crazy. Everybody has a number one but me. But the, the fact of taking that to an obsession, I think, mm. is what led to a great part to his unhappiness. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I'm talking about. That's a lot why I called it the life and longing of yeah. Luther Vandross because that was such, just like the search for romantic love, just that search for this number one was such a part of his longing. And then, you know, the thing about, so he never had a number one pop single. He finally got a number one album with Dance With My Father mm. when he was, you know, in a hospital, in a, in a um, right. It's like look at how it came to him. Yeah, was that worth getting a number one album? Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> just a lot of lessons. Like, I just hope there are a lot of lessons that I try to put through the book. Just mm-hmm. and looking, because I think you know, we live our lives and we can look at people's lives and hopefully we can learn from them, right? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there are a lot of little things like that. And I'm not saying this to criticize Luther at all. We mm-hmm. all get through this world the best way we can, doing the best way. We all are, you know, have our hang-ups that we can't get over, no matter how many times people tell us, look, you're in your own way, you need to give it up. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have those things. That's a, so I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying I hope when people read the book, they can maybe look at their own lives and go, you know, maybe I should just kind of give up looking for that dream or something like maybe this dream that I that did come maybe that's good maybe I can just be good with that you know yeah that's that's a really good point it reminds me of the in a way the um the poem that Maya Angelou wrote after Michael Jackson died and it was called we had him Mm -hmm. and he said she said in it actually Mm -hmm. right here she says um whether we know who he was or did not know he was ours and we were his and we had him and I feel like that's how we felt about Luther Vandross. So we weren't looking at Luther like, well, why don't you have a pop hit? We we don't care what they thought about Luther over there. Over here, he was he was good. You know, <laughs> over here, we were still trying to I see mean, him in concert. It was it was never an issue for us. It never felt like he was not good enough because he had not reached that success. He was more than good enough to us. No, I mean, I don't think anybody would ever think about Luther as a child. I don't even think people were thinking about Luther in terms of like, was his latest song a hit or not? I mean, he was just such an institution. It was mm-hmm. like, you just went out and got the new Luther album, and then slowly, you know, some of those songs are going to end up on The Quiet Storm, mm-hmm. some you're going to hear during the day, and it just becomes a part of the texture of black life. And so it's not even about a hit song. It's about how album after album, those songs just became a part of, um, just like I said, just everyday black life. And that is something that you can't, you can, no, no um, publicist can get you that. Yeah. No marketing person can get you that because that comes right from the people. You know, and it, to contrast another artist, if you think of somebody like Whitney Houston, okay, so she got all the success anybody could ever want right off the bat. Now, how happy was she? Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's just really important to just to keep those things in perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. to really... Uh, look, because you know, I do, I do look at people because obviously I'm a writer and stuff. So I and I go through people's lives. So obviously I do look at people's lives to kind of 
think about how I'm going to, how I move throughout the world. And just looking at those things, it's, it's just very interesting. It is. It is. You know, you bring up Whitney and Whitney to me is that that's in a duet. That's a duet that I, that we deserve that we did not get. I really huh. wish <laughs> I would have liked to have heard it. I don't know what it would have been. I, I really would have liked to have heard um, a duet between Luther and Whitney. Of course, we got several great duets. My favorite being um, I Who Have Nothing with Martha Wash. And I, I know you didn't say that. I was just going to say that's my, that's my favorite. Is Even it? I was going to ask Cheryl you. Yeah, I literally have that written down. That is my favorite <laughs> that is duet so uh, that he that uh, that he's ever ever done. I think it is. Oh my! It's so good that I forget that that is a cover until I hear somebody yeah. else do it, and I was like, "This isn't." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" When he did it, it was a cover. I just forgot, like everything else or most other songs that he's done that have been covers that you forget, you know, are actually covers. You reveal something to me in this book to the world, but I'm just going to act like it was specifically for me. Um, Anita Baker was supposed to be on that record? Yes. What in the As world? Me, thank God she wasn't. Not that I have anything against her, but, <laughs> you know, they just had one of those kind of, but I just think Martha Wash, that's what they like, when she goes that into those deep, and you know, he really helped produce her vocal and helped yeah. So I just think Martha Wash does her thing on that. But Ooh, um, Yes, she does. He had, he had a, he had Anita just had this diva-ish back and forth thing. Gosh. I think there's some people in your life that are just like frenemies. Yes. And I think what he was mad about, about Anita is that Anita came out the gate with that, um, not with the song, it's with the angel of it, but what, what her mm. first, I can't even remember the name of that. You know, the first one with, um, that she had with Electra. Rapture, exactly. You know, that had a, for whatever reason, that had a lot of mainstream attention and a lot of, you know, a lot of white listeners that may have that one little black album that they buy once uh-huh. every five or six years or something like that. That was that one little black album that they bought once every five or six years or whatever. <laughs> so she got embraced by the mainstream a little bit and was also fully embraced by the black by black audiences. Yes. So I think he was looking like, well, now, wait a minute. Now, how can she get both? And I only have... This so I, he was always looking at what the other person had. Yeah, because so she had changed. You know, she was a change. Chapter eight. She was in chapter eight. I'm chapter sorry. eight. Chapter eight. She's chapter, in chapter. I just want to be your girl. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like and, she kind of um, went to her, you know, previous group, whatever, and then she popped out there. And I just, yeah, I mean, but that's just. I mean, don't we always know that? Don't aren't we always gonna be unhappy if we're looking at what the other person does? You know. We are. And then she, I mean, and then she, I think is just a lot of people thought for whatever reason she had her own issues with Luther. I don't even understand. I mean, she's had falling out with a lot of people. So at some point, I'm not saying, you know, whatever the issue is, but obviously she has some issues when it comes to working with people. So all I'm saying is like just things that she did that deliberately kind of poked at him, like going out and when she started for, and singing Stop to Love. That was so (laughs) real. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, listen, y'all, y'all got to get this book. Y'all got to get the book because 
It's not. It's not a book. What I appreciate it is that in, in no way, shape, or form do you come across across being messy in this book. You know what I mean. You don't come across being messy. You don't come across. You know, I'm gonna give you all this kind of tea. It is none of that. But you do have your moments that you're like, oh, what? She she what? It is great. Yeah. She said, "Stop the love." I just, and then him coming out. I'd like to hear from my opening act, knowing that it was a cold feeling thing. Listen. I mean, it was, there are comical aspects to the um, seriousness. And, you know, I love what Anita Baker said when he had his stroke. It's just like, oh, me and Luther have gotten together and fallen out five billion times since then. You know, so they mm-hmm. were just, like I said, they were frenemies. They right. were just that. Because, yeah, they were supposed to do something on the Grammys and then she just didn't show up. I mean, <laughs> just didn't show up. Hey. And I'm like, who, who is this Anita Baker? I don't, I don't know Anita Baker at all, but this definitely is not the Anita Baker. I thought <laughs> that I knew right. who just doesn't show up to stuff. Yeah. Well, how are you going to invite somebody to perform with you on the Grammys and then decide at the last, you know what? I think I'm just going to do a solo song afterwards. Sorry. You know I mean, mean like, the Grammys. She really, she really did that. It. She really did that. Um, do you remember the first time you saw Luther Vandross in concert? Yes, <laughs> because it was the um, it was the Busybody tour. Ooh, oh, oh, lucky. lucky, lucky. Yes, and that was like, and I was into Broadway. You know, my mom would take me up to New York to see The Wiz and to see the original Dream Girls and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so I was really in love with that. And this Luther show. I mean, we're talking about production. Yeah. We're talking about. Just the dancers, and then the most beautiful thing is when he did Superstar, <gasps> and um, and this the ballet dancer came out, and she was like doing ballet dance. I mm-hmm. think there's actually a video. I think the video of Superstar actually has clips of that mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. in it. But it was just so theatrical and just so magic and just everything to mm-hmm. me. It, it was a really and you know the the thing about and somebody brought this up to me recently, and I think this is a really good point. There was a time, like in the 70s and early 80s, when you would go to like a big show, like we see now, the big concert hall or sports arena or something like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the show you got wasn't really different than the show you would have gotten if you were just seeing the people in the club. You know what I mean? You were just right. seeing them in a bigger place. Exactly. But it wasn't really like they were breeding. And that was, you know, and that was before like Parliament had the big mothership and stuff like that. Exactly. But in terms of being a balladeer, Luther was one of the first people to bring those type of um, almost rock and roll like production value mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. being a sole balladeer. So he really elevated the whole R&B production. And, you know, he's even talking, he worked with the people that worked with Kiss and worked with the big rock bands right. and that worked with George Clinton or something right. in order to be able to give people that, like, you know, quiet storm music and stuff, that kind of big theatrical experience and right. not just get somebody standing there in a tuxedo yeah. with nothing, you know? Yeah, and, it, and I think it was a combination of the experiences that he had growing up, going to the Apollo and seeing that, but then also... Yeah. Going on tour with David Bowie, you know, that whole experiencing, I believe, like just the tail end of, you know, Ziggy Stardust before he started going into, you know, fame and Young Americans and everything like, you know, transitioning over to that. But whatever David Bowie did was still a big deal, you know. So to be able to experience that definitely had to influence how he did his own stage performance. Would you agree? 
Yeah, he knew what a production looked like. Yes. Like, he knew from early on, you know, when he was performing at, at, at L.A. with David Bowie and Diana Ross's mm-hmm. audience and just the lights and the things, he knew Mm-hmm. what a production looked like. So when he did his own thing, he wasn't going to be giving you some little chitlin circuit stuff. You know right, what I mean? Right. He definitely, <laughs> I think, had the, he had such a wonderful education in music and education and music production and all of that. Even though it took him so long to get put on because never too much, you know, he was in his, he was like 30. Yeah. But by the time he did it, he had had such an education for people like that. Or just think of the productions that Bette Midler would put on. Yeah. And that he would be, you know, he'd be sitting in the back eating a cheeseburger, just singing his little notes. But he saw what <laughs> he saw went, it, yes. went into it. And, you know, so I think he definitely wanted to bring those production values mm-hmm. to a black audience. Because yes. outside, like I said, outside of like Parliament Land and the Mothership, we just didn't really get those production yeah. values. That's true. As you said, you know, the book is is The Life and Longings of Luther Vandross. And Luther Vandross is known as, I mean, even though he didn't like it, I think he, according to the interview you did, he didn't necessarily like being known as the guy that uh, is responsible for a certain baby boom, maybe, you know, in the 80s or, um, you know, the bedroom Luther or whatever. He didn't really like that. But he just spoke. He did not like that. But even aside from the songs that talked about intimacy without being overly sexual, he did talk a lot about heartbreak. And I I have actually gone over this question in my head for like two weeks because I want to be very, <laughs> I want to be very respectful to how private he was. Yes. Um, yes. Especially with him not being here. So I'm going to be very careful how, yes. I, <laughs> how I pose this question. Um, there's something that he says in the interview where he says that he does not, He's private, but he doesn't. Feel, he didn't feel that he owed anybody explanation about his private life just because he sang a song, uh-huh. which yes. I, I wish so many more people would adopt <laughs> that that frame of thought. You know, it's like actually just because I sing something doesn't mean that you need to know about my private life. With that being said, though, do you feel that a lot of the struggle that maybe he had that he he expressed through his songs had to do with him? being private or him being closeted? And this is why I asked that. Because when I read okay. the book, I was like, this is just somebody that was private. He didn't feel like he had to explain yeah. anything to anybody. And I was like, I don't think... Like he would have been private no matter what. No He's matter what. I was like, yeah. I don't believe... I never yeah. believe that he was closeted. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think about the, the later albums like um, Secret Love and like other songs that right. came out that you listen to and you're like... When he was... Obviously playing with people, yeah. Right. right, and we're like, is Luther trying to tell us something without telling us something? Is Luther trying to tell us something that we probably already know? Is Luther trying, you know, like, I remember <laughs> thinking about that. And then um, even kind of like the playful back and forth that you guys had during your interview where he's like, you're trying to get to something that you're not going to get to, you know. And I wonder where Kiki ended up. I mean, oh, he, cause Kiki he just, cause, uh, You know, I'm very clear about who I am. And yeah. He was very, like, it was definitely... I think you characterize it the right way. He knew what I was trying to get. And I mean, and I wasn't trying to get it in a disrespectful way. I was just trying to get it like right. one person talk to another. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. It's like, but, hey, this is a safe space. I'm clear with who I am. I'm going to let you know this is a safe yeah. space for you to be clear about who you are. If if you choose to be. Is that where you and were coming like, from? Child, it's never going to happen, but we can still talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really where I felt like 
he was coming from. Like, we can still kiki, we can still cut it up, we can do everything, but I, it ain't never gonna happen that I'm going to. Right, you know, and he did, and that's, that's, what, that's one of the things that tickled me so much about your interview, is that even in the moments where it seemed like it could have gone tense, had it been very tense, he'd have shut it down. He'd have shut it down. Yeah. So oh, it's like, clear. oh, clearly, clearly. Oh, he'd have shut it down. So, like, he was okay with the banter and the, you know, you trying to get into some, you know, certain innuendos or, or even, you know, the points where he would yeah. come back and he would be like, hey, I'm, I'm being very clear about how unclear I'm going to be right now. But he, <laughs> but he was, he, if he would have really been annoyed and really, you know, he'd have shut it down. And I thought it was, it was just really cool just to, to hear the extent of where the interview went because it was like, he actually is enjoying this. He actually is truly enjoying yeah, this. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad that you got that because that is exactly the feeling of it. Like, we were really, really having fun. And yes. I think he was actually, in, I think he found it freeing that he was able to kind of joke about it. But, like, it wasn't somebody trying to just kind of dig and dig and dig and dig yeah. for no reason. It's like, and, and the other thing about it is I think he understood that I was coming from an actual I mean, I relate to celebs when I interview somebody, like, I'm coming from general place, like, as if I'm talking to somebody, I'm really wondering, like, hey, you've not been able to find somebody, and you obviously want somebody based upon your lyrics, hey, do you think it might be because you're private or something like that? Like, I'm just asking, I'm, yes. I'm coming from a, everything from a very earnest place, like, yeah. I was not coming from it from a place of, like, I'm trying to get dirt on you because I'm trying to get this headline. I'm really coming from somebody like, I look, I listen to your music. I love your music. And I'm just trying to find out kind of like, are you good? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And that's, and that's what I got from it. It was like, I think maybe prior to the interview, even prior to the book, I would have felt bad for, or I, maybe I did feel bad for him. I was like, man, you know, maybe that was part of, you know, the weight gain back and forth, him feeling like he couldn't really be himself. But afterwards, it was like, this has this may not have had anything to do with that. It may have been the same issue that so many people can't find love because they're in the public eye and it's very difficult to find the right kind of partner. And yes. him being private, but still having that public platform is real, could really have just been the issue and have nothing to do with sexual orientation whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I think there were so many things to it and mm -hmm. I just think nobody that really loved Luther's music really cared for it to come out like what would have been if that was the case like what would it have gained him I just think it's crazy when people that don't really know his music but maybe just see him on a list of people that might have been gay or something like, and right. then think oh well he should have come out and they said like no that's not really the way it was mm -mm. in the 80s he didn't it would not have given him anything I mean, Luther didn't even know when the sanitation workers on strikes. You expect this man to be a role model for the. He was. He was not the one. He was not the one. No, you were so right to say that Luther would have shut it down. If he felt like I was being disrespectful, mm -hmm. I'd have been on the first plane back from Jamaica. Back. Like, oh, he, yeah. it was clearly we were having fun, and he was having fun. Because if he was not having fun, it would not have gone on. Right. Because the only thing that he did get kind of tight about is the whole thing about when people um, called his music baby making music and stuff. And I think that was another thing where he was so caught up in one way of seeing things that yeah. he could not see it. Because the thing about it is he would say that his music is about intimacy and about mm -hmm. intimacy between two people. Well, what's more intimate between two people than creating a baby, right? Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> they, 
be making music is not necessarily just bump and grind, like to come together and create life. Like what's more intimate than that? But again, Luther couldn't see it like that because he has such an image of, um, and you know, there's that great Teddy Pendergrass documentary that was on Showtime and how mm-hmm. Teddy Pendergrass went all the way into that sex symbol thing to the right. point of having his four ladies only concerts and the mm-hmm. underwear was flying and the bras and the pants. He, I think, for some reason, that turned Luther off so much yeah. that he just wanted to be the complete, and if anybody said anything to try to associate him with that, he didn't like it because he would always say, I want to be known for my voice. I want to be able to be known for my um, lyrics, but to the point where your draws come off, that's where I draw them. Right, but I'm not going to tell you that they're coming off. <laughs> they're just, right. that's, Yeah. I'm not going to tell you to turn off the lights, to close the door. <laughs> but I do. It's more subtle. That was not him. That was not him at all. And I think for him, the most intimate moments that he gave us of himself were a lot of the moments that spoke about heartbreak, you know, and um, like there's yeah. that one line, oh my gosh, and don't want to be a fool. I'm such a I'm such a music nerd, Craig, that I have I have I have four different Luther playlists. I have favorite Luther vocals, Luther ballads, Luther like I have like four different oh, that's ones. That's great, that's wonderful. And I was listening on one of my favorite Luther vocals is I Don't Wanna Be a Fool and there is in the last part where he says I just don't want to let nobody kill me again. Yes. Not fool me again. Because the first the first couple times he says, I don't want to let nobody fool me again. But he says, I don't want to let nobody kill me again. And in the way that he sings yeah. that, it tears me up every time. And I'm like, to me, and everybody's talking about, you know, you the, you the baby making music, whatever. He's like, that's y'all. The most intimate yeah. parts that I'm giving you of myself are these moments and and that's what I've always gotten from him. Yeah, and I definitely got the sense like that he had been in some relationships with people that kind of did him dirty mm-hmm. and kind of like I got definitely got the feeling like like I'll let you slide and busybody mm-hmm. like those were coming from real situations. Yeah. <laughs> like and so I think that's where don't want to be the fool came from where he yeah. was finally just to that age of like I'm tired of messing. With, I'm tired of the foolishness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No more. Like if if it means, I think he and I think he said something almost to this effect in the interview. But like, if it means me having to be lonely, but I have my peace of mind, yes. and I had nobody's, and I then that's at this point in my life is the more important quality because I do th- think that he had been, and of course you know the more public you are, the more somebody can manipulate you because mm-hmm. they know you don't want your business out there. Right. So um, so I think that that was very real yeah. and he was coming to that realization. And I think I think the reason why that song was so popular too is just because I think a lot of people at a certain age can relate to that. They're just like, you know, at the end of the day, love is great, but at the end of the day, I'd rather just not be right. a fool and have my own wake up with my own good mind and my own good sense. Mm-hmm. And if love can come in a healthy way like that, good. Yeah. But if it's going to have to be crazy, if they're going to have to be busy bodies, I'm going to have to let people slide, then <laughs> no, I'm good. If I got to stop the love every five minutes, just no. Exactly. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is it's, it's a trip because it's like some people are like, no, I have to have that. I don't care about number one records. He's like, no, I don't have to have that, but I better get this number one record. So it's like it depends on yeah. like what your focus is on. Um, do you remember where you were when you heard that Luther Vandross died? Yes. The paperback was a week from coming out because the paperback versions of books usually come out like a year after the hardback version. Mm-hmm. And the paperback version was um, about to come out. And I can't even remember why... I was on the road. My friend was driving. We were on the New Jersey Turnpike, mm. and I heard it on the Wendy Williams show. And I just told him to pull over. You know, the you know the rest stops all up and down the New Jersey. Yeah. And I just needed to kind of just, just like I wasn't, I wasn't crying or anything. Like I wasn't. I just needed to like be still and just be quiet and just yeah. be like, just quiet for like five minutes and then I was good and then we went on and everything like that and then I was very grateful for the opportunity because the paperback came out and I was doing a lot of press I was very grateful for the opportunity Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about him and and a lot because you know obviously people were picking up on that I got a lot of opportunities um, to talk about him in ways that I probably wouldn't have otherwise Mm -hmm. and yes it was good publicity for the book but for me it was almost for me it was more important to be able to translate the importance of Luther to black people to an audience that might not necessarily be black to Mm -hmm. understand that this wasn't just a man that sang some songs that we liked that's not here and now that's on the that's on the time collection exactly like that's not that's y'all's Luther that's (laughs) y'all that's not us exactly exactly yeah oh gosh and so I was Mm -hmm. you know so to be able to be an ambassador for Mm -hmm. just the truth you know, yeah, the yeah. culture. Yeah. That was a good opportunity. Yeah. You know. I was <laughs> I was in an airport. It was a terrible trip. We had like an eight hour layover and I believe it was in Detroit and I was with two friends and uh I mean I was mad. They had lost my luggage. It was just a mess. And it just seemed like nothing else could just go wrong. And I'm sitting there and I look up at the screen, the T V in the airport, CNN, and I see the little the little ticker at the bottom. Luther Vandross died at age. And when I tell you, I looked at that and I was like, you know what? You know what? And I (laughs) I looked at my phone and no one had said anything. And I called my best friend, Tia, best person in the world for stuff like this. I called her and she goes, I've been trying to tell people not to tell you. Oh, wow. She said, I have texted people. She was like, because people have asked, she was like, people have asked me if you knew. And she goes, I have been telling people, do not say anything to Toya. And I was like, oh, my God. Because Luther, my my dad, my dad passed away last year. And like my dad and I, that was the first concert we went to together. And yeah, I think I like gotten great grades or something. He was like, if you get this great average, you were going to see Luther. (laughs) That's how much of a nerd I was. And so like, and am still. And so um, Luther just meant so much to me. And I remember being so upset about this. And as people were coming off of the airplanes, I was just looking at black people because I wanted to just run up to them and be like, do y'all know what happened? (laughs) I was just looking at people like, do they know? Should I tell them that Luther has passed? Like, I'm just going to look like I was looking at them. Like, like I just, as as, as particularly black folk are coming off the plane, I'm looking like, I just, they don't know. I know they don't know. Look at their face. I know they don't know. Like, when Prince died, on the flip side, what's funny is when Prince died, Prince died the day I was supposed to go to Vegas, and I did go to Vegas, and it was all over my face. 
it was all over my face, you know, and I had these, uh, the symbol earrings and I had them in and, right. and people were just looking at me and they were like, oh, she just, I mean, people were looking at me with such sympathy because I just looked yeah. so pitiful that day. <laughs> so people knew they were like, she is feeling a way. Um, but yeah, I was just looking at black people with the plane like, y'all don't know yet, do you? I mean, the thing about Luther's passing, too, for me was like, because I'd had a very weird experience where, okay, so you, you start with him having the stroke, and then because I'm writing the book, I'm just immersed in this man's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm just you like, sat for, with it for a while. Then, yeah, a long time. And then the recovery stories, you know, and seeing when he did Oprah and things like that, and when mm-hmm. he did the Grammy Award appearances, I was just. I just wanted him to come to a place of peace. I knew that was not what he wanted for his life. Do you know what I mean? And I knew that it wasn't a matter of, like, us wanting him to perform again. It's like I knew that that was something that defined his identity and uh, and being great. Mm -hmm. So I I just knowing that based upon that impairment, he was never going to be able to be that again. And I would just, like, I would really think back to our conversations and just, like, I was, and I'm just, like, praying for him and just, you know, I hope he can just find contentment in whatever life has for him going out. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hope that he can just find a sense of, because he was, he spent such of his life hungry and longing, and that's what mm. propelled him. That's the reason we heard him in the first place. If he didn't have that, just if he didn't have that kind of hunger and longing, that probably is exponentially more than all of us. You know, we would have never heard his music. Right. And I was just kind of hoping at the end of his life, um, after he'd had the stroke, I was just kind of like, you know, I hope that subsides a bit and he can just be, mm. because I could see that whole desire to be great. Oh, I'm going to get back out there. I'm going to promote my records. You just see, I mean, I just really didn't want, I just really hope that energy wasn't a part of his experience, you know? And so that was a lot that was, um, that was always kind of on my mind. Yeah. Hoping that, you know, it's one thing, yes, you need to do the physical therapy, do all that, do everything just to get better, to, you know, increase the quality of your life. But I just really wanted him to just kind of just let the rest go. He had given us so much, just let it go. So much, yeah find some peace you know yeah 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 i totally see that that makes sense so i ask everybody this question if you were talking to someone that did not know anything about luther vandross they didn't know anything about never too much they did not know here and now they did not know any of that endless love any of that what either album or three songs or song you can pick whatever would you say you need to listen to this first to really get who Luther is or who Luther was? Now, see, Luther that's where you see, that's where, that was that question. I was like, oh, let me, um, I was getting my list together and that's when y'all called. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, no. but you know what it would have to be? Mm-hmm. What it would have to be is the um, live Radio City Music Hall mm. 2003 album. Okay. Just because... That has so many of the hits on it. Was his performance. His yeah. performance was so much a part of the Luther icon. Like You're right. we don't get 
we don't get Luther as Luther without Luther as the performer. It'd be like West Michael Jackson without the moonwalk. You know what I mean? You can't yeah, separate. Yeah. So to me, I would, I think people could, exp- even though I would, I'm not, that's not my best song selection thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there were mm-hmm. others. I would probably have substituted some songs. I think you get the pageantry and yeah. the majesty and the epicness mm-hmm. and the, um, kind of atmospherics and just how he tried to create a whole mood. I think you get that at several moments throughout throughout that album. And just the importance of his background vocals and how yes. even though he didn't come from the church, you had that call and response mm-hmm. between him and the background vocals. That was very much a part of his music and yes. that ain't nothing but church. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say that if you knew nothing, I think that that would give you a sense of you would experience him as a provoker. And also just the way the crowd reacts, mm-hmm. I think you would also get to experience how people related to him and just how deeply it was felt. And just one of the things that I just think is so Luther, um, is when he does um, A House Is Not A Home, just that thing he does where he, the mic is in the center of the um, walks, stage, yes. and he just walks by. Yes! <laughs> That's an excellent choice. And uh, yeah, that embodies it right there. Do you have a favorite Luther song? Because sometimes I'm like, is that even fair to ask? Or do you have like a top three? Do you have a favorite or do you have a top three? I definitely, I mean, I do have a favorite. What's your favorite? It's my favorite. Yeah, because that to me, and it becomes more of a favorite Mm -hmm. as time goes by and as I did the book and everything like that. Because I don't think that anything... Any other song sums up Luther's life better than Wait for Love. Yeah, and I was hoping there could one day be, be a chance whoa, for me to get the love that I've been missing. Sometimes love takes a long time, but wait for love, and you're gonna. In that yeah. he had spent so much of his time waiting, but yet he still had the faith that he might get that chance to love. And that's what kept him going. So I think that really encapsulates his whole everything. Craig, I want you to tell the people what you are working on right now. It's so exciting. Tell us about this Janet um, book, please. I'm working on, yes, I'm working, I'm finishing up um, a book on the life and art of Janet Jackson. And I've interviewed Janet twice extensively. I wrote two Vibe magazine cover stories on her in mm-hmm. 2001 and 2006. Yes, yes. And I just felt like people know Janet for the hits. They know, oh, she's a great performer. She has a lot of hits. I don't think people understand her as an artist. Mm. And so I feel like in the same way that 
I kind of gave people a sense of who Luther was as a whole artist, how you how all of the many strands of his career kind of come together. Yeah. I sort of want to do that for, for Janet. Because okay. I feel like her kind of just journey as a black woman in song and kind of her coming to a consciousness as a black woman and kind mm. of her sort of when we talk about intersectionality now, you know, and reaching out and like how she was doing that, sort of the stuff that we um, praise Beyonce for and Lemonade and stuff. Janet was very much doing that, the way that we talk about how the importance of mental health within the black community. Yes. Janet was talking about that back in the Velvet Rope time. My favorite album, so I just Velvet think, Rope, yes. Yeah, of course, yeah. Again, you're not alone. So, mm. <laughs> I, so I just want, I just feel like, I, you know, before I wrote the Luther book, I'm just thinking this a book is whatever. But you know, but I, but then I kind of slowly became aware of the power. And like sometimes we do need there to be a narrative out there to pull together all the strings so that people can understand the totality of what an artist has done. Yes. So although I didn't go really go into Luther thinking like that, I can see how the way people talk about Luther has changed since the book has come out. Mm. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm mm. very proud of people seeing him in certain ways and seeing him, you know, as an artist in a certain type of way and not just just a balladeer, that, you know, just another yeah. singer of songs. So I kind of, would, I kind of feel like I have an idea of how all the bits of Janet's career come together. And I just want to express that. To me, what I'm hearing is that we're going to hear more about her as a creative and her creative process, and and that's that's going to be great. Exactly. Do we, do we have a date on that? Um, well, I'm actually, I'm putting that out myself, so I'm really just, um, it started, it's weird, it started as a book of essays, but then I just felt that mm-hmm. we needed a sense of the whole comprehensive thing. And this, I mean, the very interesting things about Janet, you know, Janet was performing for um, bigger audiences at a younger age than Michael was. But for some reason, we think of him as being, the, you know, as him being the child prodigy. And really, Janet was out there on the Vegas stage. You know, he was still yeah. kind of doing the chitlin circuit and stuff <laughs> when he was that age. So right. you know, Janet has come up so much through through the industry. And just yeah. because she's kind of quiet about stuff, just the artistic choices that she's made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I also think a lot of times people put so much on Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and of course that they're brilliant, but just the things that she's made, if you look at it in retrospect about, wow, think of a, you know, 22 year old black woman that is trying to still cross over on the pop charts. Thinking of her wanting to do a whole album about racism. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. How she had to walk into the boardroom talking about a rhythm nation. Rhythm what? <laughs> we, we need you to put out control too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're gonna be wearing what? It's gonna be in black and white for thirty minutes. You know, <laughs> for thirty minutes, like, right, right. <laughs> so, so just really understanding the power of this young black woman to shape this whole thing and to mm. really use her name and her success to fully to push the envelope because she never really stayed comfortable she mm-hmm. didn't control she could have done another album just about hey i'm still in power and i'm still out here i'm still getting my these boys are still nasty she didn't do that <laughs> she did rhythm nation right she really did you know what i mean rhythm mm-hmm. nation she could have very much stayed into kind of like maybe like a black respectability politics kind of thing yeah. and, you know all of that kind of stuff she didn't she she did Janet and just 
and, you know, explored her sexuality. Then it's like, okay, you're sexy now, so we just want to, hey, let's get with it. And she's like, no, I I deal with these issues. I deal with these mental health issues, and I'm going to tell you about these. So I don't think she gets enough credit for, like, every single time Mm -hmm. she pushed that envelope and risked falling off in order to make an artistic statement. And that's true artistry there. That that's true, when you're not actually. chasing hits. That's when you have a vision and when you have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to relate in the book. Yeah, so, and that's why she's such, she's such a trailblazer, just for that alone. So oh, well, I'm totally excited about that. Thank you so, so much for... Just, Thank you. I just really enjoyed this. Thank you for the show. I love the show. I just can't wait to listen to Thank you know you. the Brian McKnight thing, especially about the Kenny Loggins show. Like I just mm-hmm. love the way that you contextualize people, that you are kind of going against the mainstream way that people can be sort of reduced mm-hmm. and their artistry mm-hmm. can be reduced. You know, the way that you yeah, are yeah. broadening the context. I think that's really important work, and I think you really should be commended for that. Thank you, Craig. Where You're can people welcome. find you? Please, where can people find you? <laughs> You find your work. I'm always on Twitter. It's at Craig's Pop Life. And that's my podcast, too. Yes. It's um, Craig's Pop Life. If you want to hear me say, say a lot of, you know, four-letter words and stuff while I talk about music, <laughs> then go to that. And, um, yeah, and I'm very accessible. You know, I love talking about, so, again, I'm most accessible via, um, via Twitter and mm-hmm. get, they can keep up with me that way. And, of course, if you go to my Twitter page, you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm actually giving, still giving away the PDF of the Luther book. On my, that's the pin tweet on my um, Twitter page because of, during Black Music Month, I'm just trying to spread that. Although that's, but, but I'm going to keep it up for a while so people okay. can still get that. Okay. And on the podcast, you also get the entire Luther interview too. If you yes. go back to that Luther Vandross tribute episode, yes, they can get the PDF, but they can also buy it. I always tell people that like you can stream my music, and like, but you could buy it too. <laughs> you can always buy and it. And listen to the audio book. Like, you listen to the audio book. I think yes. he did. I think David did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it myself. I did, I did some of my other books myself, but I just really felt like growing up through the Quiet Storm era and stuff. I said, no, <laughs> Luther, we need somebody that kind of sounds like a Quiet Storm DJ <laughs> to kind of put it out. I love myself. I feel like I am enough when I look in the mirror, but I felt like that needed to do something a little bit different. You know what I mean? And I was okay with it. I like that. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Craig. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And I will be speaking to you soon because we got to talk about this Jana book. I got to do that. So would you be back for that? Okay. Of course. Thank you so much. Everybody needs to know that. Very special thank you to my guest, Craig Seymour. I just loved, loved, loved talking to you. It was such a treat speaking to someone that has spoken to Luther Vandross and has written such a great book. Um, thank you so much to everyone that's tuned in for indulging me and me being able to talk about my favorite artists. I hope that this just gave you great memories of Luther Vandross's work. If you didn't know anything about Luther, I hope that you dive into his catalog and you love it at least have as much as I do so again thank you I really appreciate you tuning in you can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music Apple Podcasts rather Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor and other places where you listen to podcasts and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What's Good Toya until next time I'm your host Toya Haynes and this is the first time I heard (laughs) 